Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Mind on Mental Health podcast. My name is Andy Dean. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And today I'm once again speaking with Sarah Karstens, who's also a licensed clinical social worker, as well as a licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor. Sarah is also the Addictions Clinical Director of Outpatient Services for Penn Medicine Princeton House Behavioral Health. Today, Sarah and I discuss mental health and substance use disorders and how and why they oftentimes go together. So I hope you guys enjoy the conversation and find it helpful. All right, so we just talked a lot about the harm reduction approach versus abstinence-only based approaches to treatment substance use. But I think one thing that you and I both have in common is that we both have a love for working with clients who have a mental health diagnosis as well as a substance use diagnosis. So can you just talk a little bit about the relationship between mental health and substance use? Princeton House... We, we obviously treat a lot of substance use here, but I would say more often than not, it's usually associated with also a mental health condition. So can you just talk a little bit about the interplay between mental health diagnosis and substance use? Yeah, absolutely. And what you're talking about is, you know, dual diagnosis, co-occurring disorders, mm-hmm. which is essentially when someone has both the mental health symptoms as well as the substance use. Right. Um, and I think, you know, one of the first things that is really important to consider when we talk about, you know, co-occurring disorders is that they're so much more common than I think most people realize. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the, there are so many statistics out there, you know, the Journal of the American Medical Association, for example, puts it at about 50% of individuals with mental health disorders also experiencing substance use. Wow. So that's, you know, that's a, that's a staggering number, about mm-hmm. half of the people who are coming into treatment for, you know, whether it be depression or anxiety, bipolar disorder, what ha- trauma, what have you, are also concurrently dealing with substance use symptoms. So I have a bit of a chicken or the egg question for you. How does that normally happen? I mean, do we usually see that someone has struggled with mental health for years and then maybe they start using substances to cope or is it that for whatever reason they get involved in the substance use world and then obviously that can have consequences that come along with it that affect somebody's mental health like um what is sort of the typical trajectory for one of these people one of these patients that we're treating um that is a very good question and one that unfortunately doesn't have a very clear-cut answer yeah. um, because so often it is you know a question of what came first mm-hmm. um, and I think you know sometimes there are some individuals who will come into treatment that can you know very clearly pinpoint which came first you know we may have some people who come in and say no I know since you know a very young age that I've been experiencing you know, depression, for example, and then, you know, as a natural, you know, result of the things that I experienced, I turned to substances mm-hmm. um, and, and it'll be super, you know, super clean and very clear cut. Um, there are certainly times when the opposite may be true and it is the substance use that has in fact brought about some sort of mental health diagnosis or condition. Um, but I think for most people, it really is not that clear. 
And because so frequently when we see people, the symptoms are so similar and so overlapping in so many ways that it's really hard to kind of pick apart and tease out which came first. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because many times we'll have somebody who, you know, is exhibiting or reporting a number of mental health symptoms. And then when we take a closer look and start assessing for and asking about any substance use, they will bring up what substances they are using, which, you know, a lot of the, you know, the byproducts um, of the substance use can mirror the exact mental health symptoms that they were reporting. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it can be really tricky to kind of pick apart. And, you know, I think it is, it's less about what, you know, what came first and what caused what, but really, you know, what function is this serving for me and what do I need to do to start to reduce or alleviate these symptoms? Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, it's so individualized, right? Um, and I think a, a large part of the work for someone who's seeking treatment for this, well, I guess I'll just give you an example. One of my favorite groups to run um, was always a very simple group where it's just the pros and cons of using substances, right? And basically you would just stand in front of a room of 12 to 15 people and you'd make a giant list of like what, what are the pros of using? What are the pros of abstinence? What are the cons of using? What are the cons of abstinence, right? And I always thought like a really simple way to go about goal setting or, or treatment for uh, any patient that really was struggling with with this was to do that on sort of more of an individual setting because really a large part of the treatment is trying to find ways to work in the pros of using the substance for that individual without the substance being present, right? So like oftentimes you would hear that a, a pro of using for somebody might be that it's an escape or that or that it's a large part of their social life or that it's, you know, it's just fun. So a, a large part of treatment would be then, okay, how can we work you feeling like you're getting an escape, you feeling like you're, you're socializing, you feeling like you're having fun into your life without the substance being present? Yeah, no, I, you're, you're, you're spot on with that. And I think, um, an activity like the one that you're describing, it, it makes so much sense. And I think like, if you kind of stand back on the outside and just sort of talk it through, you'll probably have some people, maybe even some people in the group being like, like, what are you talking about? Pros of using, like mm -hmm. I'm right. here to stop using or, yeah. or something yeah. like that. Or like there are cons to not using substances because we, you know, we're kind of constantly inundated with the, you know, with the message that like substance use is bad, you know, don't do drugs, say no mm -hmm. to drugs, you know, all of those types of things, but to really get in there and think about like, you know, what has this done for me? How has this benefited me? because the, you know, the reality is people wouldn't do it if it didn't work. Right. Totally. Um, and so I think having a, having a discussion and a conversation about like, what, what about this worked for you mm -hmm. is really, is a really important starting point because, you know, there, there's a reason that you do it and you do it because it works. And I think when we're talking again about kind of that interplay 
um, you know, specifically of like the mental health symptoms and the substance use, you know, for people who are experiencing incredibly intense mental health symptoms, substance use, you know, it, it may sound cliche, but it is a form of self-medication. Totally. It is, you know, albeit maladaptive at times, but it is a skill that people use to try and help alleviate the symptoms that they are experiencing. Yes. Right. So when you're talking about someone who has suffered from, you know, extreme social anxiety for years and years, and they have found that when I have a couple of drinks, I'm actually able to have a conversation with someone, you know, that is, that's a pro for them. Um, when, you know, most other things that they have tried have not worked, they finally found something that worked. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think, and, and what people tend to figure out is that this, this really kind of spans the, you know, this, the entire spectrum of both mental health and substance use, right? Because whatever it is that a person may be experiencing, oftentimes we will hear people come in having found a substance that kind of meets that need whether it be a need to relax, um, a need to get a little bit more pep in their step, um, you know, a need to slow their brain down, a need, you know, whatever it may be, people have found a way to do that through the substances. Now, unfortunately, it is, it, it's a, a pretty quick and automatic fix for people. And sometimes exactly what they're looking for, whether it be, you know, to detach or whatever the case may be, but on the other side of that, there are then some, you know, some unfortunate consequences that can come as a result, which is oftentimes the point that we are seeing people come into the treatment. Yeah, I think that that's sort of, again, this is one of the uncomfortable things that people don't like to talk about when it comes to substance use. But if you are somebody who struggles with this, or you're the family member of somebody who struggles with this, and you find yourself asking the question, why would I do this? Or why would my family member do this? if they also have a mental health issue. I mean, this the answer is usually pretty simple, and the answer is because it works, right? It makes you feel better, um, mm -hmm. at least in the short term. It works until it makes things worse. Um, but if, again, you know, you have extremely uncomfortable symptoms of anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, trauma, schizophrenia, the list goes on and on, whatever the substance or whatever the mental health issue is, generally speaking, there can be sort of an escape or a self-medication component found in some kind of a substance, some kind of substance. And I think one of the things that I had found interesting over the years, and you can probably, uh, you've probably experienced this too, is that usually if you got a pretty clear clinical picture of somebody, why they were coming in, what their mental health symptoms were as a clinician, you could predict with pretty good accuracy what this, what the drug of choice would be to help manage those symptoms. So like oftentimes, and not always, but like if someone, if someone really struggled with symptoms of post-traumatic stress and one of the, one of the symptoms of that was hypervigilance that's pretty uncomfortable and that's usually like a heightened state of arousal so usually they would take some kind of a a downer right so maybe alcohol would then be the drug of choice or opiates or something like that whereas 
if on the other side they were what we call hypo aroused more like low energy just seeming like the disconnect the lethargic right yeah. usually it, it would be some kind of a stimulant like cocaine or crack something or whatever to it make is them feel right something to kind of balance that out and again that's not always the case but oftentimes that is the case and I think that's just kind of an uncomfortable reality is that it works like it it works in the short term and to have these mental health symptoms is so uncomfortable and so um, there's so much suffering involved with it that that oftentimes people feel like that's sort of the the only option that they might have is to use a substance because they know it's sort of an instant fix. Um, it's something that's going to take the suffering away immediately. Uh, again, even though it's only for the short term and long term, obviously, you know, there are usually some pretty terrible negative consequences that come along with that. But if you're sort of stuck in that moment, stuck in that suffering, it feels like it doesn't really matter. Yeah. And I think it, you know, that's, it's, it's a really important point because I think this is, you know, by way of, we're not trying to excuse Mm -hmm. um, the, the substance use away. Right. And I think sometimes that's, you know, that can, that may be, you know, a misconception. Um, but, but really this is, this is by way of explanation. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that that can be so helpful for individuals who find themselves in this situation when they kind of see like, uh, you know, when, when we provide them some education and when they kind of figure out like, oh my God, like what I'm doing, like, like not, maybe not the best choices all the time, but it makes so much sense. And when we're able to explain why these things are happening and why they, you know, this is their go-to, um, to alleviate that suffering that you're speaking of, it like, it it almost helps people kind of breathe a sigh of relief. Like, Oh my gosh, I'm not crazy. Like there, there's a reason that I'm doing this again, not as an excuse, but by way of ex, you know, explaining that this is what's happening. And I think it can also be helpful for, you know, those in the support system of that individual, again, just as an explanation, because, you know, it also helps kind of steer away from, like the, the moralism and the condemnation of like, you know, this is, you know, this is a, just a choice that you're making. Um, and you know, kind of that, um, you know, that, that view of substance use as being, you know, um, like a, a, a a personal or a personality deficit. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's important to be able to get to, to get people to understand that. And then the work begins. Um, because, you know, as you're saying, people do it because it works, but people do it because it works really quickly and pretty effectively. Mm -hmm. Right. So if we sort of look at, you know, what's, what's happening, you know, our brains for the most part, um, you know, this, this can get a little bit complicated when we talk about, you know, mental health disorders and things, but for the most part, our brains are designed to, you know, produce chemicals that will, you know, give us feelings of joy and happiness and, and all of those things. Um, but when you have some of these mental health conditions, you know, it, it, it can impact that flow, if you will. Right. And so what these, what individuals are seeking is kind of a, a way of artificially producing what the brain is not doing naturally. 
the problem that that we that we find when it comes to substances is that the substances that they're using at the um, amount that it's often being used produces such a surge of these chemicals and the blood be uh, the brain becomes so flooded with them that the body can never do that naturally mm -hmm. right like the body cannot produce those type of um you know those those types of you know neurochemical releases in the way that a substance would and when you're used to the flooding of the good feeling when you're used to kind of the instantaneous relief that that's really attractive and really appealing um and it's not something that can be reproduced by you know using a coping skill right right um, you builds up a tolerance to it basically uh, yes ab absolutely um and then you know unfortunately what happens and and with some substances in particular when you stop using it it um it kind of wipes your your brain's ability to naturally to naturally produce those chemicals. Mm -hmm. So not only are you taking away the thing that was helping you feel better, but you've also kind of um, stunted your brain's ability to to redo that by itself naturally. But it can and come back. Just, but it can come back. There's, there's absolutely hope. there's hope. It, it it can and it will mm -hmm. um, certainly. And so you know that that's that is part of why it's so difficult for people who are you know in this process and you know trying to go through program because they're not feeling what they used to feel, but they're they're feeling it at, at an even um, an even more insignificant amount because the brain isn't isn't able to kind of do its job on its own yet. Right. You know this is in part where um, you know where medications can be really helpful mm. to sort of give your brain a jump start if that's what's needed. Um, but you know it's it, it really is going to be a matter of people having to work pretty hard at finding a new way, exactly as you were saying, finding a new way to start to um, fill some of those voids. Mm -hmm. So if it was, you know, um, if it was the social relationships that, you know, that the substances were helping with, you know, finding a way to start to engage in some of those social relationships without the substance now mm -hmm. and what is it that i need to do right um you know group therapy can be incredibly helpful with that because you're kind of like forced into that situation a little bit but in like a really safe and contained way um you know but we're also talking about people who in many respects are having to kind of learn themselves again like who am i what do i actually like to do mm -hmm. um and, you know, the same things that you may have liked to do many, many years ago have, you know, sort of, um, you know, uh, what I heard um, really frequently, especially with adolescents is, you know, well, I used to love to skateboard. I used to love to play video games. Um, but that was like even better when I was using. Right. So then you go back and you try and do those same things again. And it's sort of like, you know, a lackluster experience. And so for many people, it's having to kind of start over and rediscover what do I like to do? Mm -hmm. um, you know, who and who am I? Yeah, and I think that's an important part of the conversation to have, too, is like, um, even though, again, there can be these changes in your brain that take place if you're using over an extended period of time or you you spend years sort of engaged in these behaviors um, that aren't necessarily the healthiest um, or that sort of keep the substance use going, 
there's hope in treatment and you can you, your brain can adapt number one will adapt to you being sober or to not using as much we're talking about harm reduction um and also you can learn new ways to sort of reintroduce these new things into your life that will give you the same effect that the substance did absolutely absolutely i mean you know recovery whatever that may look like for each individual is absolutely possible. And that's, you know, that's the nice thing. We're not, you know, just because this may have been, um, you know, this may have been the pattern or these may have been the ways of coping for so long. Doesn't mean that it has to always be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, free in frequency, intensity, whatever. Um, it's absolutely, you know, the, the body is such an amazing and resilient thing and is able to, start naturally, you know, producing those, um, those chemicals again, and we are able to form connections with people again. And there is so much hope people, you know, people do recover, people get better all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, being able to, you know, first and foremost, recognize that you're at a place that would require that type of intervention, I think is key. But then really recognizing that, you know, you're you're not alone in that. Mm-hmm. It is so incredibly common and there are people doing it every single day. Yeah. And and who are really able to, you know, come out the other side and live the life that they want to live. They ha- you know, they they live a life that is worth living. Totally agree. All right, Sarah. Well, Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. You were great, and we'll do it again. Sounds good. Thank you.